What guanawaradu sewa guego? Greetings, love, and respect from me to all of you, and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. I'm Gustosara Guate Palette Moore, a Ganyangehaga or Mohawk, citizens from Six Nations of the Grand River, Haudenosaunee Territory. Today's program is a special episode. Instead of regular programming, please enjoy our episode of the Anti-Standylion podcast. We are a media organization focused on revitalizing our communities through stories of land, language, and relationships. Enjoy and listen to your aunties. On this episode of the Auntie's Dandelion, an interview with Gahedokta Janice Brandt, a Ganyagehaga Mohawk farmer, seed keeper, and co-founder of the Gondegi Seed Sanctuary. Janice and her Tyndanega collaborators recently took over care of a seed collection held by nuns for decades at a nearby convent. It's been a journey of community engagement, discernment, and the creation of a new and original wampum belt to honor the transfer of the seeds. When you open that husk, it's like you're, it's like you're looking at an infant, you're looking at a baby, you're looking at the future generations. And, and to me, that is extremely humbling and, and extremely powerful. That power becomes a pushback against our overculture, and Gahed Dokda discusses the risks of caring for seeds with an intention of sovereignty. We're not trying to create a control over the seeds. In fact, we're the opposite. We're trying to make seeds more available to people, to make healthier, stronger seeds available to people. So you can see how that sort of, just even that flip of the paradigm can make it a dangerous game to play. And so we have to be careful. We get stopped at the border. You become almost like, um, sort of like a terrorist, uh, almost in the same, uh, we're dangerous (laughs) because we're in charge of freedom. (laughs) And and, uh, you're free uh, when you have your own food. And as always, we are really happy when you listen to your aunties. What guanawaradu say wa guego gastotsaraguate, young yats. And I'm here, it's gastotsaraguate, and I'm here with dear friend Gahetokta, Janice Brandt, in Tindanega territory. And uh, we're talking today about the Gondegi Seed Sanctuary. And it's just something that's been close to my heart for a really long time. And Gahetokta is so close to the Auntie Standylion because, just to start out, she created our beautiful logo for the Auntie Standylion. So if you haven't seen that, go ahead and look at that. And um, it was a, an original painting that she made, and it represents us so beautifully. She listened to it and uh, made, and there's seeds on it, so that's really cool. Uh, so welcome, Gahetokta. Yeah, what? Can you introduce yourself to us in Ganyangeha and then and then Jerhonsa? We're both happy to be here. <laughs> so my name is Janice Brandt, and I sit with the Bear Clan, and I was born and raised and live in Tainanega Mohawk Territory. Nice. Well, 
Yeah, well, and we're sitting around Gahedokdak's table, and um, we've had a beautiful day. We've been in the garden, and so we're talking today about the Gondegi Seed Cere- Sanctuary. I want to—I always want to say ceremony, but it is kind of a ceremony. Mm-hmm. So tell us first, what is a seed sanctuary for our group, Redinahiantos, which is. Uh, um, sort of a seed society that formed uh, to work on the Gandega Seed Sanctuary. Uh, part of the reason we went with the seed sanctuary concept is to create the idea that this is a sacred place uh, where we're working on the seeds and to invite people into the space in that way. Uh, I'm not sure what people think when they heard, hear the word sanctuary, um, but what we hope it, it brings about is just this idea that it's a special place, it's a, spa- it's a space for uh, play- prayer and reflection and ceremony and taking care of the seeds and doing seed-keeping work. There are different kinds of seed saving and seed banks, and so now we have the seed sanctuary. What is the difference between all of these different kinds of seed honoring and um, and why are all of these necessary? So what's mm-hmm. the difference first? So so there are different uh, seed banks, uh, seed vaults, seed libraries, and they have different kind of functions. But a seed sanctuary is a place for a living seed collection, which means it's grown out year after year. And what's especially unique about um, what we're doing is that by growing the seeds each year in our location is we create regionally adapted seeds, seeds that are adapted to the climate of our region, to our soil, to our air conditions, to all of the environment. And over time, uh, as they keep being grown uh, in those conditions, um, they just become super adapted to the area, which makes them really strong. Uh, a lot of seeds uh, are grown in places and then sold far from where they were grown, which doesn't always produce a, a very good crop. And in some cases, seeds are grown in labs and therefore have never even seen the outdoors. So sometimes, you know, sometimes the seed is not as reliable as it should be because it hasn't had the, the conditions and the chance to thrive uh, in its own environment uh, or in an environment. So I feel like what we're doing is really special and really unique. Um, it allows the seeds to have their own adaptability to changes in the environment. And so it's a special seed conservation work that we're really proud of. <laughs> I had this understanding of... Like in Norway, they have that seed bank. How is this different from what's going on there? And it's in the permafrost, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually uh, threatened now because mm-hmm. of climate change. Yeah. So, so Norway. Uh, so what's happening there is it's a seed vault, and it's quite isolated, um, and it is in sort of the tundra and into the permafrost. They have had a, a breach of the, the facility. We can't, I don't know, we can't tuck things away and expect them to be just pulled out later and, and be, be great. Uh, I feel like they're tucked away from human contact. They're tucked away from the sun, from the wind, from the air, from the climate itself, and therefore... 
they have not had the opportunity uh, to adjust themselves to change. Just like just like people, we change uh, with the environment. We adapt, and they need that same opportunity in our view. So a seed vault is great. Um, it's great if you can have a protected space that holds seeds at a certain temperature. Um, but we still, it's like I said, it's not foolproof, and, and neither is ours. Um, but what we're doing that's different is the seeds are being grown out. It's a living collection. It's not a collection that's tucked away in a vault or in a seed bank and only grown out maybe once in a while. Uh, these seeds have a regular opportunity to be planted in the soil, um, to be exposed to the light and air and all of the different conditions. So what we hope uh, by working on regionally adapted seeds is to make sure that they're strong uh, and healthy and that they can withstand uh, a certain amount of change, a certain amount of drought, uh, whatever kind of air conditions that we might have. If we're having a lot of smog, they have a chance to get used to that a little bit when they're being grown out. Like these are just some examples off the cuff, but yeah. um, it helps to strengthen the seeds. Um, and so we're really, uh, it's really special that it's a living collection. It's being grown. It's not just housed somewhere away from people. We actually have the chance to interact and learn with the plants and grow with the plants and adapt with them and to observe them and to see how they're doing in the conditions, how they, how they like and respond to the soil that's in our environment or how they respond to drought. Um, one of the important factors about the seed sanctuary um, and our gardener can reaffirm this, is that we don't uh, baby our crops. A lot of crops are watered and sometimes extensively because what they're after is the food product where we're after the seed. And so wow. we limit our watering, we limit our interference to the, so that so we want to make sure everything survives and is able to propagate and reproduce its seeds, but without a strong interference. So we don't overwater, we don't overpamper the gardens. They're not necessarily pristine like other plants are allowed to grow with them to cause a little competition. These are important factors in creating really strong seed. And that's such a a change of perspective, and it reminds me as you're talking that these are living beings. Why is this an important place for these seeds to be? Well, I think there's a few reasons. Uh, we asked ourselves that question when we embarked on this journey to receive the seed re rematriation. We said, what makes us a candidate? And this was before we even met with uh, the Sisters of Providence. And one was our culture. One was that we have agricultural lands that remain here. Uh, which is wonderful because so many communities have become much more urbanized uh, ahead of us. Uh, we're headed that way as well, but I think this is a chance for us to reinvigorate our connection to the seeds, indigenous and heirloom, and to create an opportunity for our younger people, our youth, uh, to engage with the act of seed saving, to learn all the different steps, to... Uh, connect with our culture. I believe it can heal us, not just eating good food, but being outdoors, uh, tending to the plants, 
looking after them and enjoying their beauty. Uh, there's just so many different aspects to what makes this important and yeah. and and really good for our community. Uh, right since the beginning, we've had a really strong positive response, partly because we still have a lot of agriculturalists and seed seed keepers, people still actively doing that. And in the past, um, you know, what I understand about our culture uh, as Haudenosaunee, as Ungwehunwe, was that seeds were passed down in families and they were kept in the longhouses and they were, the gardens were planned by the matrons and all of these good things uh, were able to happen, but colonization disrupted the transfer of that information and knowledge to some degree. And and I think we believe that it can heal us, not just not just seed keeping, but returning to our original food ways and having the capacity to be food sovereign. And how did this come about? It was just kind of a beautiful evolution of these seeds coming into your care. So the seeds uh, were in Kingston, Ontario, uh, about 45 minutes from here. And prior to them being in Kingston, the collection was on a farm called Firefox Farm that was run by Robert and Carol Moak. And they actually started the collection because even then, 45 years ago, some of the seeds were becoming unavailable uh, because they were not sort of desired by main, the mainstream or the big producers. And they were looking for things that were more uniform, easy to, easy to be cultivated with machinery, um, just different reasons. So seeds were already there seemed to start to be a decline in food diversity like 45 years ago, even more probably. Mm -hmm. Um, So they started saving some of the seeds. And over time, uh, um, you know, for us, how we look at it is that those seeds became a family. They've been living together all this time. And so uh, when we came about this seed rematriation, uh, our interest was in the whole family. We didn't as Native people, we had experienced families being torn apart, and we knew what that was like and what it looks like and the damage it can do. And if we thought about seeds in the same uh, beautiful way as we think of human beings, you know, we didn't want that to happen. We wanted, if possible, uh, to keep all the seeds together. Um, so we we were informed about the closing of the Heirloom Seed Sanctuary in Kingston at the Sisters of Providence um, by the gardener that was uh, overseeing the curation of the collection. And and so that's that's what started uh, this journey, is when she let us know that the Seed Sanctuary was going to close and that they were looking for a new home uh, for the seeds, a place for them to go. And there was quite a bit of interest, of course, uh, a lot of interest um, in certain seeds and not others. Um, but when we... Um, after we had a consultation with the community to say, do we want to even go down this road? Or maybe we can make a seed sanctuary with our own seeds from our own community. Um, But then uh, the voice of the community spoke and and they said, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to take care of this. A lot of the seeds are ours anyway, indigenous. Uh, And so 
We, so through the consultations, a small group of really interested, caring people got together and said, okay, what are the steps? What do we need to do? How do we make this happen? Where do we go from here? What makes us a good candidate? We asked ourselves a lot of questions. Um, and then finally, we presented ourselves to the community as a formal group that would like to pursue the, the seed collection um, that was in Kingston. And we uh, sent a formal delegation to meet with the Sisters of Providence and to let them know that we were interested. And we followed all our customs. We gave gifts. We presented who we were. And immediately what we recognized uh, between the Sisters of Providence and ourselves was one, that we all cared about these seeds, and two, that we had a spiritual connection to the seeds that other people didn't necessarily have. And so one of our group members, uh, she told a bit of the story of the creation so that they could understand that, as far as we could understand, some some of these seeds started in the sky world and came with uh, Sky Woman here to this land, uh, Turtle Island, and that's how deep our connection runs. And it's part of our food cycle, it's part of our ceremonies, and so from those, from that common ground, and I think also just out of plain old respect, uh, we respected what they had been doing for the last 20 years. We respected that they took on a seed collection and cared for it and used those seeds to help others. And they had that spiritual connection and they as had well, that, right? Yeah, they had that spiritual connection, which was just beautiful. Uh, and it was something that we could work from, work, we could work together on that front and... And so we did. Uh, we became candidates to receive the collection as, as along with another group, the Kingston Area Seed System Initiative, which I'm, we're really grateful for because that gives us each a backup. So we're not totally uh, on our own, which we can work together. We share information. We have meetings. We hold an annual uh, anniversary of the rematriation as a way for all of us to stay connected. And... Uh, yeah, it's just been a, a really great process. Uh, after we became candidates, or af after we were selected, uh, there was a public announcement uh, made and some news articles uh, naming us as, as the people that would receive uh, the seeds. And together uh, with the Sisters of Providence, we planned a rematriation ceremony that would be a public event marking this like special transition of the seeds from their care to ours and in the in in, in the behind the scenes work was working with our own community mbq the mohawks of the bay of quinney and the longhouse uh, people to decide on a piece of land a community-owned land where we could actually work this work on this and rate and and grow the seeds and so we did enter into like a 10-year agreement on a 15-acre organic parcel. Mm -hmm. And we uh, sort of promised a low or no development to the property because the whole point is to keep that a green space, to use it for gardening, to uh, curate the seed collection, and to help educate our community members and the surrounding communities about the important seed conservation work that's needed today. Mm -hmm. Um, before we lose any more varieties. Uh, so many uh, of the foods and things have, uh, you know, um, yeah, I don't even know the statistics and the numbers, but it's pretty great uh, how much plant diversity has been lost in the last hundred years. And our foods, 
were part of our cycle of ceremonies. And so there was a special place all the time uh, to celebrate the foods and different foods for different ceremonies. And still, right? Yeah, in, and still. In that, that's, that's still part of the way we live and the way we do things. Um, but now we can we can increase that again. Like we can now bring back uh, things that have been more rare in the past. And now they can, you know, maybe in the past they there was only just enough to be seed, but you know, through the work that we're doing and the education that we're doing, we're hoping people will grow the food and become their own seed keepers, but also have that opportunity to taste these foods and to share them with their family and their friends and, and to bring them to ceremony so that we can enjoy them once again. Right? Gosh. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just so much. It's so much. And then you did use Rodinashoni ways of entering into agreements as well. Can you talk about that and that process, which was so beautiful? So one of the things that we felt would be really important, not just to us as Redinahantos, but because we had quite a bit of youth uh, that had been a part of this right since the beginning, we would really look to them for direction um, and say, like, what what do you want? And and we would also look at ourselves and say, what can we role model about ourselves for our youth so that they know our culture is alive still? Um, it's not something trapped in the past. It's not a culture under glass. It's alive and it's part of who we are every day. And so we um, looked for support and we received some funds um, and we were able to purchase uh, enough uh, handmade wampum beads to create a wampum belt. And we also were able to have a consultation with a well-known uh, sort of expert on wampum and um, the Haudenosaunee visual code, which many of the wampum belts have uh, some things in them that, I guess, tell us the story. And so we wanted to make sure that our wampum belt when it was looked at by Haudenosaunee people, would tell the story uh, the way that it was. And so the, the wampum belt that we created, uh, it shows two figures and a line uh, passing between the two figures. And that shows the passing of the seeds from one generation to the next. But it also represents the passing of the seeds from the Moks to the sisters and from the sisters to um, the Mohawks to the Bayaquini. And then in the middle... There's a mound, uh, and that sim- symbolizes the, p- the planting. And there's some uh, beads that show uh, a, like a seed coming down and one seed uh, planted in the hill. Because it's not just the passing of the seeds from generation to generation, it's the passing of the knowledge, of the skills, of how to care for them, of how to save them, how to use them. And so there's just so much meaning uh, in that wampum belt. And we held several events in the community where community members could come out and weave the belt and weave into it their commitment to these seeds. And then we also and that took was it. indigenous and non-indigenous, yes, right? Yes, yeah. Woo! And then we took the belt uh, to Kingston, and in Kingston, the Kingston Area Seed System Initiative and the Sisters of Providence and their volunteer base that had been helping with this this seeds. Um, they also wove into the belt their com- their continued commitments and their hopes and dreams for the seeds. So a, a lot went into it. You know, a couple hundred people had uh, 
the opportunity to weave the belt, which was like totally amazing. Uh, I'm just goosebump <laughs> after goosebump right now. That's so, that's so powerful. Well, I think what was most important to us was, was one, capturing the event and the story of these seeds and the rematriation. But again, it was to show our youth that our culture is alive. And these wampum belts are not just something of the past, but we wanted to make a, wa- a modern wampum, a modern treaty, a modern, a modern belt recording this special like event in time. And so we did, and it was amazing. And I think of a lot of people, uh, it really sparked a lot of attention and a lot of good energy. And you have quite a background. So we're sitting at your dining room table and you grew up basically next door mm-hmm. to here. Tell me about your background. You talked about how your parents sent you out early to be responsible for plants and for the health of the family, for, mm-hmm. the, for the abundance of the family. And uh, how did that journey lead you to the seeds and where you are right now? <laughs> well, uh, like you said, um, our parents uh, were really... Um, we were given responsibilities and we were given chores and we were given jobs. We were shown things. Like my mom would take us and pick wild grapes, but then when we were old enough, like five, six, seven, then she would send us to get the grapes. She didn't have to come anymore. and Or black caps or whatever we were picking, uh, she would send us to get different things. But, you know, in my, my early years, uh, you know, with my mother, my grandparents, my dad, they would point at a tree and say, that's a maple, or that's a birch, that's a Queen Anne's lace, that's a burdock. And so we just kind of became familiar with our surroundings, uh, with the plants, with the natural uh, environment. And even though we were farmers and doing agriculture, it was, I like to say, a combination of a traditional farming and foraging and modern agriculture sort of all put together Mm. (laughs) Um, because we we did also modern agriculture because we had a dairy farm um, as well. But we also harvested wild grapes and we used uh, the surroundings. My dad would hunt geese and turkeys like right on our farm or or deer. Um, You know, plus we had cattle. And (laughs) so it was kind of like I guess all all of those things all in one, and it and it just made us really well rounded and very responsible and very in tune with the environment, with plants. For me, especially plants, uh, that's what I really gravitated uh, towards. And I started keeping my own garden. I I believe when I was like about four, and my dad would tell stories. Uh, uh, to other people that I kept my own garden since I was four or five years old Whoa. and uh, I still what did you grow at the age of four <laughs> that's amazing. I loved marigolds uh-huh. and radishes and you still do <laughs> just FYI she has strings of marigolds <laughs> all over the house and they're glorious and I, I loved radishes for as, as a kid I, I loved radishes and onions I don't know like I just liked them and carrots so I started wow. growing things I really liked, and my dad said I would pedal. I don't really remember, but he said I would pedal my bike down the road with a basket, and I would share some to the neighbors in our in our in our area. 
and there weren't a lot of uh, um, people here at that time. I think when I was young, there was maybe 800 people in the entire community. Is that right? Yeah, so it was, wasn't very Whoa. populous. And so you could ride your bike a long way oh. and be totally safe. Uh, and the neighbors knew who you were. They knew your parents. And so y- you felt safe to go by someone's place and drop off some carrots or some radishes or some lettuce. Oh. Um, and so Beautiful. I come by it really honestly. It was just something <laughs> I seen happening. And so I would replicate it. And, and as we do, often children do that. They mimic what's happening happening around them um and so we were farmers and we were gardening and we were you know eating this wonderful food and so as a young child I just participated and and somehow I felt that really compelled even as a kid to have my own garden and so my dad would tell it for me and and he'd be like that's your spot and each year, my spot would get a bit bigger and a bit bigger and a bit bigger because I really enjoyed uh, doing it and and learning. And I pretty much kept it up until I went away to university, and then I stopped for a few years, and I found that really difficult. And um, once I settled back in the community after school and and I and I had some employment, I started gardening again. Nice. <laughs> I started seed keeping when I was young. Like I was, you know, just from my family environment, I was seeing some of that and how it was done. And I I even would take seeds in baby food jars to school and show them to my friends. Uh, it was my it was my play, really. That's how close we were mm. to the seeds. That it was. Like when people were bringing their toys, I was bringing the seeds uh, to school and showing the teachers and the other kids. So I really come by it very honestly. Um, as I got older, I tried to abandon, <laughs> as Why? sometimes we do. Yeah, we uh, do. It wasn't cool. Yeah. It, uh, sometimes people would look at me like I was so strange uh, that I had this like seed love that I couldn't really explain, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh so really cool. I guess I've always been like this. I can't. Uh, this. Uh, <laughs> and so I think I received my first real seed gift uh, from my dad when I was about 14. He gave me some of the Deserano beans and he told me the story about how they how they came into our family and why they're so important. And then he also, you know, gave me his corn seed and talked to about how how that seed came in our family, and he said, this seed has been in our family over a 100 years, and so people need to keep it going. You can't just let it go. But that was what was happening. Uh, People were abandoning that lifestyle and moving away from seed. And so so it was sort of hard for me because at times it felt kind of lonely, but I started getting invited to Confederacy seed meetings, like for the Haudenosaunee. They started meeting uh, probably like, I mean, before I was around, but um, I think I attended my first uh, seed meeting in Tonawanda, New York when I was 22. Mm. And I've been involved in the Confederacy seed work ever since. I've taken little breaks and short hiatus because I also am a teacher and I worked as a professor uh, for many years and then as a Mohawk language teacher in the community. So... But no matter what I was doing, it seemed like I would always talk about seeds and gardening or use examples from my own life uh, to help uh, teach and do the things that I was doing. So 
even though I would take little breaks, you could tell it was just part of me because I could never really fully like let it go. And then I um, met my husband and um, while we were still uh, young and dating, uh, he said, (laughs) what are you doing? As he stared at a very weedy patch of, you know, something. And I said, well, I'm gardening and these are heirloom seeds they're indigenous they've been passed down in my family and some of the seeds have been given to me from other community members I said I never asked for any of these but people just give them to me and they just seem to know that I will take care of them or try and he said do you want me to help and I said sure you don't mind and he sealed the deal (laughs) and so he's been helping me ever since and I'm really glad uh, but also something that that's wonderful that's really happened for me too is uh, as I was participating in more seed meetings and became more familiar with with other communities and other other people, then I started meeting other seed keepers. Um, uh, the unfortunate part was many of them are quite a bit older than me, and so my mentors, some of them are gone now, mm. uh, which makes me really sad because I still have questions <laughs> I'd like <Yes>. to ask. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but also things that they instilled in me and the words of encouragement that they gave me when they gave me their seeds. Uh, yeah, so I felt a lot of, I still feel a lot of responsibility. I don't know if I can always do a good job, but I certainly try. And so when the seed, when I learned about the Kingston, the seed sanctuary in Kingston, I was really amazed because I had actually never heard of anything like that before. And so I thought, well, what is this uh, seed sanctuary? And the gardener invited me. And so I started to build a relationship with the seed sanctuary and with the gardener. And I would attend probably once or twice a year uh, at the seed sanctuary. Um, And then that's how we ended up learning about the closing of the seed sanctuary. Oh, so even before those seeds became available, you were involved? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because the seed world is small. Yeah. And even nowadays, even presently, within a few people, you pretty much know every seed keeper within the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. So it's um, it's definitely work that has sort of, in some ways for, for a number of years, maybe gone a little unnoticed, but now has become something really crucial. And um, if we're not careful you know, we might even lose more varieties. And so really, we we, we sort of all agree that we need to keep doing our seed work. We need to make sure that we're transferring this knowledge to younger generations uh, and to try to get young people involved so that they feel that spirit and they connect with the seeds. And then we know that there'll be seed keepers in the future. Yeah, and, and we so, saw that today, I think. Yeah. You know, and all those excited young people, they're so yeah. articulate, they know what's going on. So what Gunawara do yeah. about that? <laughs> that is, for me, the best part. It's the most rewarding of all to see people gathered for the purpose of seeds. I never dreamed in my life that that was something that was going to happen. I... I never imagined myself working on something like this uh, as a volunteer. And it's really just been amazing. Uh, and and I'm just so proud and honored when I see the youth uh, and that they've come to give their time uh, to this. They were so vibrant today. They were so excited. Yeah. Well, and you've used this word rematriation. Uh, why is that word important? What does that mean to you? What does it mean in relation to seeds? 
And why is that important to be using that word as to like what's going on with the seeds here? Well, I think um, traditionally, in a sense, I really can appreciate the word uh, rematriation because I think the, the even though everyone helped and in the gardens and, and had a part in that, that the seeds were sort of, I want to say, like, I don't know a good way to say this, but under the umbrella of the women. So it was the women that planned the gardens and planned the food. And um, and so, like, I've read and heard stories uh, all my life that said that if the men wanted to go to war, but the women didn't agree, they had to go empty-handed with no food. But if the women agreed, they would send food with them. So women had a lot of, um, you know, say over the foods and how the foods were cared for, how they were prepared, tended, planted. Um, and that, that I understand, too, that the way that they had set things up um, was that the work was was not a burden on any one person because mm-hmm. it was shared widely in the community. And so everybody worked in the gardens in some way. And that even they would have gangs of women that rotated through fields. Mm-hmm. And so just in the way that different people connect to each other today, if they were a, a, a group and they were connected, then maybe they formed their own part. Like, So they would go out and work in that field and, and a different group of women would work in another field and... But rematriation itself, to me, in many ways, is a new, a newer word, uh, a less common word than we hear words like repatriation. Mm-hmm. And even my computer always wants to change the word. I was just going to say, autocorrect always changes rematriation. Yeah, yeah. And so really, um, it was uh, the sisters actually that first used the word with us. It oh. wasn't us that brought the word to the table. Um, and... I think because they are women and they are leaders and they are professionals, teachers, nurses, doctors. Um, they're not just nuns. They're 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 professional people that have, you know, uh, joined uh, the convent for their reasons. But um, I found many of them to be very feminist, and so it sort of made sense. Uh, that they were using this kind of language, and um, and it just uh, it sparked a lot of interest to me. I had to think about it. What does this mean? What what are what does it mean to them? And um, but really, uh, for me, over time, as I as I became more familiar with the word, I sort of in my own mind and in my own heart recognized that it's not just about female. It's about our spiritual connection to Mother Earth, yeah, and to all, all living things, and um, and it and the word rematriation, like I just it feels so appropriate uh, when we're talking about seeds. Seeds are life giving, and so are women, and yes. so they are intimately tied together. Yeah, in the way that I view that word, and I mean maybe other people have different ideas or opinions, but. I think that's where it's led me. <laughs> and it makes you so emotional. It makes me so emotional, too. We're sitting here kind of mm-hmm. crying. <laughs> they got Santos mm-hmm. together. Um, where does that emotion 
come from, I can imagine. But, you know, when you're, it just affects you so visibly. Yeah. And I feel my own heart expanding when you talk, every time you talk. About well, I, I think it means life. Yeah. Like we, like I said, um, I think it, I think um, I feel genuinely grounded uh, spiritually. I feel strongly connected to the earth um, through the seeds and through working on gardens and working with plants and observing them. And it's just like getting to know a person over time. You get to know all kinds of things about them. So at first you might just eat the corn, but then you might learn the seed saving step of corn. And then you might learn, oh, I can also use the silks. And oh, the empty cobs and the stalks, and they can all be used too in different things. And sometimes people braid the husk into seed mat or into uh, mats um, and different crafts. And and so it's 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 not just one part of it. It's, it's all parts of it that interest me and that sort of inspire me. And I, I'm always motivated to try to learn more. Yeah. Um, I try to remember all the things that my ancestors taught me that has been passed down uh, to me through my grandparents, my mom, my dad. And even I find even my older sister, even though she's just a couple years older than me, She'll remember things just slightly different or maybe a little bit more information. And so I even still learn from her like uh, uh, fairly regularly. And I, I'm glad that we have each other to talk about the seeds because we have a similar upbringing. And therefore, um, I don't know, I just, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I, I don't know what I would be like without seeds as part of my life. Yeah. I, I find them so grounding, um, uh, and I and I I just yeah I just love every part of it, um, and it and is emotional. Uh, yeah. I will say it does spark a lot of emotion in me. Um, like I was saying earlier at the garden, when you open that husk, it's like you're it's like you're looking at an infant, you're looking at a baby, you're looking at the future generations, and and to me that is extremely humbling and. And extremely powerful. Like, I do feel uh, like wow, they've they've been around for a long time, and here they are still. They, that they continue their responsibilities and they continue their original instructions. You talk a lot about the word sovereignty, and how does sovereignty? What does that word mean to you? What does it mean to you in the context of being a Rodinishoni woman, person holding seeds? Well, I think that's part of that. There's a there's a feeling that you have when you have seeds in your pocket. There's a feeling that you have when you know that there's a jar of beans in your cupboard. Uh, some that you can plant, some that you can eat, but that you can make more by foster, like by caring for them and fostering them and planting them and and so. I, I feel a great sense of sovereignty often. <laughs> Sometimes it could be bad. <laughs> In what way? <laughs> well, because I feel like a, a lot of a lot of independence from 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 the rest of the world. Like I mm -hmm. can rely on myself uh, for a lot of things, for food, for medicine. Um, I say I sort of have a relationship with the environment around me mm -hmm. that I feel safe and comfortable in mm -hmm. and that always provides for me. 
but that it's not as simple as it's not a one-way street, that it just provides for you. You also have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to ready the soil, to put the seeds in, to care for them while they're growing, and and then to be there to harvest, and or to be there to scare off the birds that start bothering them, or or to check them for maybe raccoons invading into your corn patch. And um, so there's a lot of responsibility. It's not just a one-way street. It, it takes it takes a lot of commitment and dedication, but it also makes you strong as a human being. Uh, you feel strong from eating the nutritious food. You feel strong from the physicalness of, of doing that work, of being in the environment outside uh a good portion of the growing season, you you almost live outside. <laughs> That's what Ken and I say a lot. We say half the year we live inside, half the year we live outside, <laughs> uh, because you just have so many things that you can do and enjoy uh, through the growing season. But sovereignty itself uh, is a really powerful concept, and um, seeds is the foundation of the food system. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways we might have misplaced that and misplaced that priority and now we have a chance to sort of reinvigorate that uh, that understanding amongst our our communities and our youth to know that the seeds are the foundation that's where it all starts so um and and then the way that we operate with the seed sanctuary the food part is sort of a byproduct of seed of seed growing, of seed production. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different way because people look at the garden as a food source mm-hmm. rather than a seed source. And so we're trying to help people recognize that it's more than a food source. It's that we must also tend to the seeds. And I seen something uh, on social media and it said, if you had a good garden, thank a seed keeper. Mm. And I, I was amazed to see that because I was like, wow. Mm. That's great because that's the connection people need to make. Uh, you know, people go into home hardware and pick up seeds and right. grow a garden. And if things don't do well, they don't really blame it on the seeds. They blame it on, oh, the garden or the conditions or something. But sometimes the seed that we're starting with is not the best seed either. And so we want good, high-quality seeds that are reliable, that we can plant, and that produce food and seed. And that takes care and time and re- relationship. And relationship. All, all the things that lead us to abundance, mm-hmm. right, with mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. And the, and it is kind of, it can be considered dangerous. And there are some stories that you could either tell or not tell. We talked a little bit about this. Uh, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous um, to an overculture that does not want us to be sovereign. Can you talk just a little bit about that and then share as many details as you want to about what seed seed keepers in general come up against the system and in what way and why is that? Yeah, so there is is, uh, a lot of movement towards the patenting of seeds and that's been going on for a long time, uh, patenting of medicines, and then they're held illegally by corporations and... As a seed keeper, that's a pretty dangerous game uh, to play. Uh, we, in my in my own heart, in my own life, I want to see seeds and food held by the people, not by corporations. And so I I, I sort of um, 
I don't know. I don't know how you can how how you how people how that might be seen. But I consider myself like uh, an agroecologist, like an agricultural ecologist. Like I I care so much about the environment and and the way that we do seed work and we try to not. I mean, we're still cultivating, but we're trying to work with the environment, not against it. We're not spraying. We're not using pesticides, herbicides. We're not trying to create a control over the seeds. In fact, we're the opposite. We're trying to make seeds more available to people, to make healthier, stronger seeds available to people. So you can see how that sort of, just even that flip of the paradigm can make it a dangerous game to play. And mm-hmm. so we have to be careful. We get stopped at the border. You become almost like, um, sort of like a terrorist, uh, almost in the same, uh, we're dangerous <laughs> wow. because we're in charge of freedom. <laughs> and and, mm-hmm. and uh, you're free uh, when you have your own food. Uh, it's harder to oppress people. And even yeah. we know historically, like, the Haudenosaunee were so strong, uh, but the way that they targeted us during the Sullivan campaign was to attack the women, children, and gardens. Yeah. And when you start attacking a people's food system, and the world knows this because I understand from, there's a documentary called Seed the Untold Story, and, and in that documentary, like one of the first things to happen when the U.S. went to war against Iraq was they hit their seed sanctuary, or not their seed sanctuary, their seed bank. Is that right? So these things happen. Like These these places are almost like marked. They're the number one target. If you, things go wrong, they're not necessarily coming after... They're, they're, they target things like seed sanctuary or seed banks and yeah. things like that. I keep using sanctuary, but that's just because it's but us. But yeah. seed banks is what's commonly out there. And so uh, when you start thinking of that, that that's the number one target, it can be like a really scary uh, thought. And unfortunately, we had visitors like from the government uh, asking a lot of questions, not just about the seeds, but about not just saying like, oh, we want to hear about your seeds, right. but they're like, how much seeds do you have? We right. want to know in quantity and measurements. And that is not like... <laughs> just showing up at your door, right? Just showing up at the door. And that is not okay. No. Uh, That's so, intimidation. Uh, yes, it's intimidation. And so a lot of it, so a lot of these seeds sometimes that they they, they get, uh, they have to get permission Uh but they, what they like to do is they like to take them to their experimental farms and and do research, which is okay. Uh, but right away, I'd put on the table like, well, are you involving our people in the research, and and do we have a continued role in that? But it was sort of like, no, we just want the seeds, and you to sign this paper. Wow. And oh, what we'll do for you is we'll give something back to you after. Oh, we'll give you a copy of the research, what we learned. But we don't really need that because we already no. know these seeds. And we, uh, you know, seed keepers have a familiarity with them. Right. And so that's not the kind of research we're looking for and not the kind of give back that we're looking for because I was more thinking like, well, how do you plan to help the youth and how do you plan to make these seeds more available to people and and they couldn't answer any of that because that is not their goal uh so uh it seemed to me that maybe the goal was to get as much of those seeds uh into their hands and out of our hands as possible and to have a sign of paper saying that they have the right to do the research and whatever that means well and i even had to call like the like some of the the local like parliament 
parliamentary representatives and say, hey, this is this is happening. They don't have no business coming into our communities without permission, for one thing, and you right. don't just show up at someone's door unannounced. They that never, is just tactical. They never That's even just... asked for my phone number, my email, nothing. They knew everything about me, including exactly where I lived. And so that was really surprising to me. Uh, but when I started calling uh, after they left and I started calling around, they had visited other seed keepers as well. Right. Um, so the whole group of seed yeah, keepers. So it sort of feels like we're being watched. Uh, a little bit, uh, our activities probably on some level are probably being monitored because food is a powerful thing. Uh, you can do a lot if you, like even uh, as a school teacher, um, we see it all the time. If a children, uh, if a child comes hungry, they can't concentrate. Uh, right. Their day is difficult. But if they're there and they're well fed and their bellies are content, they can learn and aspire and you know, be creative, and and so food just has that kind of power. Uh, without it, we're really vulnerable, and so I feel like it's it's a good idea to keep our own seeds and to keep our own crops going, mm-hmm. like our own favorite corns. And and if everybody chips in, it's not that hard of work. Uh, but if only a few people are left to carry the ball, then it can mm-hmm. be really, um, you know, may not have the best results. So, so, so and it's she, too much responsibility for just a few people, and the benefits yeah. are for everybody. And so, I know this is not our story, but I do say it every once in a while is the story of Henny Penny, mm-hmm. and she had that wheat seed, and and nobody really cared. But when she grew it and made the bread, everybody wanted to eat the bread. Yeah. And so then she said, "Well, here you go. Here's a go plant your Here's own wheat you know well that's um, such a good story right yeah it is it has such an important huh. message that we all have a job and a role a, a place to um participate in the garden and the and the growing of foods of and, own and, food. and seed keeping and and that we should never expect that to be in someone else's hands it's life itself yeah 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 and with all the changes in food systems and food production and um you know, a lot of food has now become mechanized uh, and put through machinery, and 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 so we're trusting machines uh, to do work that used to be done by our hands and our eyes, and mm. um, and I just I don't know I I feel like when I see young people, I see them taking an interest, I see them wanting healthier foods, foods that taste better than what's available right now. Mm-hmm. Even like expensive organic food is not meant for our nutrition. It's meant for somebody to make cash. <laughs> yes, yes. And so it's so inspiring to me to see them getting involved and reaching for this this knowledge, for these skills, and and recognizing that they that is their inheritance, and that that is who they are as a Haudenosaunee, as a Nguyenhui. Um Yeah. So it's really, mm. but yeah, it can be. Um, it can be a little intimidating at times, uh, being a seed keeper. Yeah. Um, and then too, we get a lot of people asking us for things, and and then and sometimes it's un it's 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 difficult because uh, there's just a few of us doing it, and mm-hmm. the demand on us can be so great. And we do try to hand out seed, but if the people aren't trained in seed keeping or even in growing sustainably, it can be like we're throwing seeds away. Mm. Uh, and at a time when seeds are 
very vulnerable and in limited supplies to work on uh, seed work. But some of the ways that we've been creative is um, one of the grants um, we wrote about the art of seed saving, and we were were able to receive uh, the funding, and they were really impressed with um, the language that we chose and that this really is a form of art. It's It's agriculture, but it's an art form to be able to know and understand seed keeping. One of my uh, true favorite uh, speakers on seeds is uh, Vandana Shiva. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's quite a powerful uh, uh, academic uh, from India who has done a tremendous amount of work and research on seeds. And she did a talk... um, uh, for, uh, I think it was called uh, City Folk, Food Folk, or something like that in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that just blew me away, and I was so grateful that she said it, was she said people all the time call themselves environmentalists, but unless they understand and know the importance and place of seeds in the environment, they really aren't environmentalists yet. Mm. And that really stuck to me. Because I thought, yeah, it's the foundation. And if we don't understand that part, then we're missing a whole bunch of information. And we're also not really able to to be fully capable environmentalists if we don't consider the seeds and the role of seeds and the place of seeds. And, and also that the diversity is in rapid decline. Uh, it does uh, feel like it strengthens me as a person. And I feel like it has strengthened us as a community to embark on this journey yeah. of bringing back our traditional foods and, and caring for the seeds themselves as the starting place for doing that, for for reinvigorating our food systems by starting with where it should start, with the seeds. And here we are. I'm just yeah, so yeah. honored uh, by the youth uh, for their interest and for their their energy and their excitement and I'm just yeah I feel like this is yeah I I can't say enough great things when I see those young people and when I hear the things that they have to say about what's happening and what they're Mm -hmm. doing and the how inspired they feel and how empowered they feel and just Um, proud of the territory that it's here on the territory proud of themselves mm -hmm. and expanding yeah right yeah so Listen to your aunties. Thank you to the Aunties Dandelion and especially to Gasto Saraguate Paulette Moore for allowing us to share the Aunties Dandelion podcast in place of our special programming on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. You can learn more about their media organization at theauntiesdandelion.com.